Um, you have your Bibles. I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. You can turn there on your phone, your tablet. You may actually have a book that you brought with you today called the Bible, but uh, it may be on a tablet or a phone or something like that. But uh, we're going to end up there in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 15. We want to talk today about new and true. I really sense God is wanting to just really do a great work in people's lives today, including myself and everyone. And so we're going to look at new versus true. There's a lot of new in our world today. There's a lot of new in our culture and in our society today. But not everything that is new is true. Just like the saying, not everything that glitters is gold. Not everything that is new is true. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish medical doctor in Vienna, Austria, during the time of the, uh, the Holocaust, World War II. Uh, he and his sister were the only ones who survived the Holocaust in, their, in his family, uh, both of his parents, all of his siblings except one sister. Uh, some were killed in Auschwitz, uh, some in other places, but he and his sister were the only ones that survived. He had this statement to make. He said, people have enough to live by, but nothing to live for. They have the means, but no meaning. Perhaps you've come here today and you're saying, you know what, I've got plenty. Or maybe you're saying, I've got enough. Uh, I, I'm not in, in danger of being homeless. I've got enough. But why do I have anything? And what am I doing with what I do have? And I think God is going to answer that question for you today. We're going to talk today about identity, new identity versus true identity. We hear a lot today about identity. It truly is changeable, and yet the devil uses that very issue to bring havoc. The Bible tells us in John 10.10 that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come to give us life and life more abundantly. And so here today, we're going to talk about the abundant life that God has for us through the identity that he has for us. People are searching many times for a new identity. It changes, it shifts. Some people, as we look at some of the uh, people that would be claimed uh, to be TV stars or movie stars or Hollywoodites or whatever, and they're constantly trying to look for a new identity. Some of them go through boyfriends like they go through a wardrobe. It's amazing. Um, they're just always shifting because there's no peace on the inside, and they're trying to find an identity on the outside, and yet God wants to bring identity on the inside of us. Everyone searches for true identity, but what is that? When we meet someone who is enduring an extremely difficult season, a real problem like the Holocaust, but certainly not doesn't have to be that dramatic, when we meet people like that, many times we would ask the question, how did you keep going? How are you continuing? Or how did you get through that? Perhaps maybe a better question would be to ask, why do you keep going? And why did you get through that? That would be a much more important question. You're there in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 15. Let's begin reading. We're going to take a little bit of time. We're going to read a little bit more than we usually do. But let's begin reading there in verse number one, chapter 15 of the Gospel of Luke. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees were the very religious people. They were in charge of what we would call church or the synagogue, the worship, sacrifices, things like that. The teachers of the law, those were the guys that studied the Old Testament and they were to teach the people uh, about God. So that's who we're talking about. We've got tax collectors and sinners. We've got Jesus. And then we've got super duper religious people. And yet Jesus had a few choice words for them, most definitely. So it says, verse number two, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, always be careful when people mutter. He said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I want you to remember that statement. Let's keep reading. Verse number three, but Jesus told them this parable. He said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Real quickly, Jesus here starts off with a parable, a story, an occasion, an opportunity to where a person would have a hundred sheep and loses one percent and yet diligently searches after that one percent. But then he takes the percentage up. He says a woman has 10 coins and loses one. That's 10 percent. And he says that woman searches diligently until she finds that coin. So he starts at 1%, he goes to 10%, but now he's going to go all the way to 50%. Let's keep reading. We're in verse number 8. I'm sorry, verse number 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his own stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Here Jesus is speaking these three parables to these Pharisees and teachers of the law, but certainly in the presence for everyone to hear. He's making it very, very clear. There are those who are found and safe, and there are those who are lost. Jesus pronounces his ministry at the very beginning by saying, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so as he is seeking and saving that which is lost, it was the religious people who weren't really into that. They didn't understand why he wasn't trying to join their little club. Why doesn't he come into our circle? I mean, we are the ones who really know God. And yet Jesus looked at them and said, you don't know God. You don't know the Father. You have no idea who he is because if you knew him, you would know me. And because the one who's seen me has also seen the Father. And so Jesus is saying, hey, there's a 1% loss and you seek diligently to find it. There's a 10% loss. You seek diligently to find it. And a 50% loss, of course, you'd seek diligently to find it. Starts with a sheep, then he goes with a coin, and now he's talking about a son, a person, which is more important than anything else. Your identity is vitally important. Identity starts with nature, but then it moves into nurture. Nature, our ancestors, our great-grandparents and our grandparents and our parents, all of that DNA, all of that chemistry comes together in the womb of a mother. All of, all of that intricacy comes together, and that's why you kind of look like your parents or your grandparents. You kind of walk like them, talk like them, act like them, because you've got some of them in you. I personally believe that in every child, right in the middle of that gestation of nine months, somehow God just gets in there and says, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. And it makes that person an individual. Yes, we have characteristics that are very similar, and yet we're an individual, and we are the similar and different at the same time of all of our ancestors. Some of, go- some of you right now are going, yes, great, because I come from, well, never mind. We're not going to go there. Just kidding. That was a joke, okay? Think God mixes it up. So our identity starts with that nature, but then it goes to nurture. How were you nurtured as a child? Were you affirmed and lifted up or were you squashed and put down? Were you, were you aimed over here at this identity or were you aimed over there? Every one of our parents did the best job that they possibly could and we need to praise God for our parents and our grandparents and yet Every one of us are not perfect. Every one of us make mistakes. Every one of us are incomplete. We do the best we can, and yet we need God's help, grace, forgiveness, and mercy, and we need his power and his strength. 
God wants to form our identity. We see in the reality of children like to role play. Uh, they like to play, you know, the, the cowboy, or they like to play the detective, or they like to play the athlete. They like to play something because they're trying to figure it out. Who am I? Teenagers will try to go on great adventures and try this and try that and discover this and discover that because they're trying to figure out who am I? Back in the 70s, there was a, a guy named Vincent Furnier, and some of you may be familiar with him. He was born again, according to his testimony, he was born again as a teenager, but really tried to witness to his friends, but they just weren't getting it. And, and so he tried to, to show them, hey, man, you, you guys are following this, this devil and this, all this de demon stuff. And he tried to find a way to show them that's the wrong way. It's, it's, it's never going to satisfy. It's never going to go in the right direction. And so he created an identity. And he put a guitar in his hand and a microphone in front of him and started a rock group. His name on stage is Alice Cooper. We were exploded uh, in the 1970s with a group of five men who each one of them had different identities. They were called the village people. We are still cursed, blessed with their song YMCA. I never can quite get all of that ready and together, so I just gave up on it. We realize in the reality of our day and the things that we're dealing with is what we, what the society is calling transgenderism. I'm not here to talk about transgenderism per se, but just for about 60 seconds. Trans, transgenderism, in other words, I, I'm, I have the plumbing of, a, of, a, of a, a boy, but I think I might be a girl, and so I'm going to try to become a girl or a vice versa, this transgenderism. It is not at all a biological malady in the day in which we live. It is a contagion. It is a matter of this, this sudden rise of popularity and transgenderism, and people are just kind of falling in line with it and getting on board with it. It is not something of a biological malady. It's, been, it's, been influ it's by result of influence from other people. What amazes me is that we've got a... a, a in particular, it's a, it seems to be a little swayed toward the young women, the girls, in which uh, these young women uh, don't want to be a woman, nor do they really want to be a man. They want to be in between. Even these young girls who, who are doing things to their body to try and look like a boy, and yet when they put a tattoo on their body that, you know, they're not doing like, I don't know, skull and crossbones or whatever, demons. Or, they're putting butterflies and dolphins. Sorry if any of you men have butterflies or dolphins on your body. I'm sorry about that. So they're, they're, they're saying, I, I don't want to be a woman, but I don't want to be a man either. They want to be stuck in between. Now, what we've got to ask ourselves and, and dive into for those of you who are raising children, I think it's vitally important that you listen carefully for the next 60 seconds. I want to ask this question. I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to ask it. Who is it that are telling our children it's bad to be a woman? It's bad to be a boy, a man. It's bad to be white. It's bad to be black. Hispanic, Asian, it's bad to be poor. You don't want to be poor. 
The only thing worse than being poor is to be rich. Those people are disgusting. Who is poisoning our children's minds? It's a contagion. It's not biological. I want to tell you a story about a woman named Marina Chapman. She's in her 70s now, but uh, one of the things that she has loved to do for many, many years is when, of course, when she was younger, she had two daughters, and then, her, and then as they grew up, then she has grandchildren. She would love to climb trees with her children and then later her grandchildren. She was in her 60s climbing trees with her grandchildren. You say, that's odd. I would agree. But before Marina Chapman moved to England to live, where she met her husband and was married. Before that, she was living in Colombia, and she had been adopted by a family who had connections with England through a textile business, and that's where she was taken to England to become a nanny and then later would live and still lives there today. But she was adopted by a family in Colombia. Why was she adopted by a family in Colombia? Because before she was adopted by a family in Colombia, she was homeless on the streets of a city in Colombia. But before that, she had been rescued by hunters and sold to a brothel, and she was being trained to be a prostitute. But before that, she actually lived for five years in the jungles of Colombia walking with, if you will, a troop of monkeys. You see, when she was about five years old, someone kidnapped her, put a hood over her head, drug her deep into the jungles of Colombia, and then left her there. She stayed in that spot for 24 hours, just crying, screaming out, trying to find someone to help her. There was no one. Second day, same thing, no one. Three days later, no one. Finally, she looses herself from what was tying her up, and she, of course, gets the hood off of her face, and she's wandering around, dehydrated, hungry, trying to figure out what she's going to do, and she finds a troop of monkeys, and she tries to get close to them, and of course, they don't know who she is, what she is, what's going to happen, what's going on. They try to scare her, and once they realize she was no threat at all, they just kind of tolerated her. But it was in that jungle for five years that she watched these monkeys and she mimicked what they did. They, she discovered how they drank. When it rained, so they would take the leaves and they would drink the water off of the leaves and that's what she did. She found out how to harvest fruit, how to get fruit, how to break it open and eat what was nourishing on the inside. She learned how to take a stone and crush a, a nut and break it open and eat what is on the inside. For five years, she lived as the only human being in her vicinity. And all she had was a troop of monkeys. And that's where she learned her identity. She forgot how to speak uh, Spanish. And she started mimicking the screams and the grunts of the monkeys. She's verbalized like the monkeys. She ate like the monkeys. She drank like the monkeys. She learned how to climb trees and would go very, very high in these trees, thus going all the way back to her grandchildren climbing trees. You see, she learned a new identity out of necessity. No fault of her own at all. 
but she learned that identity because of the environment in which she was in. How does a person survive in the jungle? Number one is through connection. She made a connection with those monkeys. And then, of course, next was imagination. Maybe I can do the same thing. Maybe I can survive this way. Maybe I can live this way. And then, of course, thirdly is through imitation. She just simply did what they were doing. We find that in our world that we live in today, could we, could we call it a jungle? I mean, if you got a, yeah, we can call it a jungle. It's going to get sidetracked for a moment. We're living in this situation where it's monkey see, monkey do. There's an imitation. There's, oh, they're popular and they're doing it. Oh, they believe this and they're, they're on TV. They must be wonderful. And it's a monkey see, monkey do. And so the contagion of identity is swinging back and forth. It's, it's neither here nor there. It's all in between. It's all mixed up. Instead of having an identity, we're trying... Many people are trying to just have no identity at all, thus ruining what God has intended them to be. If you're a boy, God wants you to grow into a man. And if you're a girl, God wants you to grow into a woman. And he is thrilled about that. And so should we be. If you're smart, become smarter. If you're not so smart, become smarter. Okay with that? We're always supposed to be moving into the identity that God has for us. We look back and you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter three, we see Adam and Eve in the perfect situation, in the perfect uh, environment. And what, what happened? They forfeited their identity and they had to take on another identity, which was sinner, someone who had rebelled against God, someone who had said, no, God, we're gonna decide what we're going to do. We're not following you. And they had to pay an ultimate price. And every person, me, you, every person since Adam and Eve has wrestled with this same thing. We are in this jungle, but thank God we're not of this jungle. That's what God says. When we are in Christ, we're still in this jungle. But he says, but you're not of this jungle. You don't have to do a monkey see, monkey do. He says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the Father. He says, that's where we keep our eyes. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And so the great question is, is it a new identity or the true identity that God has for us? Our true identity is found in Christ. When we come into Christ, we come into a family that is empowered and is also influential. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 says this, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So today, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what's going on in your life, maybe you're in a situation where you're going like, you know what? I am confused. I've been following this and following that. I, I am confused. And I don't know where I'm, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't, I'm having difficulty trying to figure it out. The, the world tells me if I feel something on the inside, that's my true self. Hmm. I always want to ask this question to those people. If what I feel 
is my true self, and that's what I need to do. What if I feel like slapping you? I've never done that. I just want to. Pastors have dreams too, you know. <laughs> never done that. Just a thought. Christ will give you, yes, a new identity, but the best part is it's true identity. It's not an identity that's going to shift and, and go all over the place with society's shifting and movement. It is an identity that is established and founded. It is an identity that is true. And it is identity that will guide and lead your life through all the storms and all the difficulties that this world will throw at you. And our identity in Christ is when we say, you know, well, God, I am connecting with you and I will find my identity from you. But what does that look like? Let's, let's bring this to a conclusion, and I want to have a time of prayer in just a few moments. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 11, you see the verse up here. I'm going to read it to you real quickly. Paul is writing, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, to the church at Corinth, and he says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me pause for a moment. When he says wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God, he's not saying, find out what your city considers wrongdoing and don't do that. He's saying, God has already determined what is wrong, don't do that. If we look to our society, right and wrong will always be shifting and changing. When we look to God, right and wrong is much more foundational. We understand we can depend on it. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, or drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were but you were washed and were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Man, that is amazing. He's saying none of these people who live this lifestyle are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you, he's talking to the church. He said, some of you were that way. That's the way you lived, but not anymore because now your identity is in Christ. And therefore all of that sin has been washed your life has been sanctified. Your life has been radically changed. How many of you can testify today to the fact that Christ radically changed your life? Anybody in this place today? Yeah, he's radically changed our life. He's taken us out of confusion into confidence. He's taken us out of, man, I don't know which way to go to say, this is the way I'm supposed to go. And that's what God does. Our identity in Christ is found in three things. We can go through these quickly. Number one is family. He brings us into his family. God doesn't say, yeah, okay, I'm going to let you in and you can be a servant. Okay. No, he says, you're welcome into my family. Let's go all the way back to that prodigal son. He says, hey, dad, give me my inheritance. I want to be free. That's what Adam and Eve wanted to be. They wanted to be free. And look where that got them. 
Look where he got the prodigal son. He went out, and the Bible says he lived wildly. It was a parable that Jesus is telling. He says, man, he, he, just, he just lived it up. But then all his money had wings and flew away. And then there's a famine. You know, you can't control the famine. Can't control that. And it was really bad timing for this guy, wasn't it? Maybe that's the situation that you're in. Famine. So he's got nothing. And in the context of this parable, the parable doesn't say it was a Jewish boy, but we, we, I think we kind of make that assumption. And now he's out feeding what? Pigs. That's like the lowest of the low for a Jewish boy to be out feeding pigs. But here's the great news. He came to his senses. Yes. All of a sudden he goes like, wait a minute. I lost my identity, I lived it up, and now I'm living it down, and I want to get out of down living, and I want to get back to up living. And so he says, I'm going to go back to my father. I would rather be a servant in my father's house than to be in this situation. So he goes back, and what does the father do? He'll have no business with his hireling stuff. He said, you're my son. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were lost, and now you're found. And that's the testimony of everyone who names the name of Christ. We were lost, now we're found. Amen? We were dead in sin, now we're alive in Christ, and we have his identity. It is the family. You see, Mariana Chapman was adopted by a family, and they welcomed her into their family, and that's when they were able to make this connection to England to get her out of Columbia. God will... First, bring you into his family and adopt you into his family. And that's when he begins to, to chart a course for your life out of this jungle and into a solidarity with him. We're still in the jungle, but thank God the jungle is no longer in us. Amen? So the cleanup act is from the inside of us so that we no longer act like we're in the jungle. But secondly, the second thing is our true identities in Christ is first family, but secondly, it's empowered. And I just love the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives us. The power of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God. It's not earned or deserved. It's not because you prayed enough or fasted enough or asked enough. It is a gift given to us by him because he says, I want you to have power. And so we don't live this life just going, hey, I don't know, man. I just, I'm just got to go with the flow. I've got to go along with what everything, everybody else is doing. But he says, no, I'm giving you power that you don't have to continue in sin. I'm giving you power so that you can overcome. And even that power even specifically says, I'm giving you power so that you will be my witnesses. You know, the greatest witness to Jesus Christ and his power working in your life is not necessarily your words, but it's more your actions. It's more how do you handle problems? How do you handle difficulties? Do you have the joy of the Lord in your life? And he gives us that power to be a witness, not just a spoken witness, but a living testimony to the grace of God. He says, I'm giving you power. Thank God for the power that he gives us that we can resist the jungle so that we can focus on the king of kings. But the third part is that as our identity in Christ is family, then it's empowerment, and but then thirdly, it's influence. If you still have your Bibles open there, you can quickly open that tab again. If you look back there at the second verse, remember what it said? 
you know, all the sinners and tax collectors were gathered around Jesus, but the religious people said what? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Yes. God gives us family. He gives us power so we can eat with sinners and be influential in their lives. He's not called the church to huddle up every Sunday and go, okay, huddle up and maybe you can make it back to next week until we huddle up again. He says, no, we huddle up to be encouraged and uplifted and strengthened so that we can go out and be influential in people's lives. I want to talk to you young people, teenagers, and I want you to say, God has not called you to just sit there and be blasted by what all the world is saying. He's called you to be empowered and to be influential so that you are the one with sound reason and logic. I'm sorry, it is those who are trying to become a boy or a girl or somewhere in between. They are the ones confused and you get to influence them. I'll say it again. They are the ones confused and you get to influence them because that's what God's called us to do. Jesus was unafraid to talk and meet and eat and sit down and have a good time with a bunch of sinners because he said, I've got to influence them. I can't reach them huddled up with the religious people. I've got to reach them where they are, and that's how I can influence them, because he had the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I, I, that first step is, is where I'm faltering on, being a part of the family of God. I don't see that I'm a part of the family of God. I feel like I'm an outsider from God. Like he's like way over there and I'm way down here and I don't know what to do. Can I submit to you what the Bible says to do? The Bible says that if we come to God and we confess our sin, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us of all sin. And the Bible says that I have sinned and you have sinned and the Pope has sinned and Billy Graham has sinned and Mother Teresa sinned and everybody has sinned, everybody. But if we come to him and say, God, I've blown it, I've sinned, he will forgive you because he loves to forgive you. He loves to forgive me. If we say, God, would you please accept me into your family? He's like, oh, yes, I will. Come on. I'm making you a part of my family. I am adopting you, not as a servant, but as a child, a son, a daughter of God. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray today. Say, God, would you please forgive me? Come into my life. I, I, I want to be a part of your family. Bring me into your family. God will answer that prayer today, right now. Maybe you're here saying, man, I need power. I'm a child of God. I've been there, done that, but I need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in my life. God will fill you with his spirit today and fill you with the power that you need, that you'll not be swayed back and forth, but you'll be steady and secure. All the storms will come. The difficulties will be there. All the, yep, but you'll be steady. And I think there's some people here today that says, you know what? I want to be more influential with the people around me. I want to be influential with my family. I want to be influential at work, at school. And God, I want, to, I want you to make me influential in the people that I surround myself with. And that's, what, that's where we want to pray today. Those three things. Do you want to become a part of the family of God? You want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, become influential? Then God's going to answer those prayers. If that's you today, in any of those three categories, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to fill us with his spirit, bring us into the kingdom of God. 
and to his family. And to God say, I want to be more influential where I'm at. Really want to pray, especially and particularly for our young people today. What a, what a, what a world in which we live, in which this little box that people carry around on their, in their pocket just has a bunch of possibilities, both for good and bad. What, what, a, what an age to, to, be, to be raised in. That's why we say we got to foster godliness, foster masculinity and femininity, but we need to foster godliness. Godliness. 